Well, we began a new preaching series called The Afterlife, and uh, as we were looking at, and I was praying about preparing for this particular uh, series, uh, one of our uh, teammates here at Graceland, he actually works with a tech, his name is Brad, I don't know if you knew him, but Brad uh, came to me kind of uh, serious about something. He was kind of doubting some things. I said, Brad, what's up? And he said, well, I wonder, you know, with this whole talk about death and heaven and all this stuff, he said, is golf going to be in heaven? And he loves golf. And I was like, well, you know, so, so he, he unashamedly, he began to pray about if God would tell him if there's going to be golf in heaven. So he, he's been praying about this for the last several weeks and months. And, and so a heavenly messenger in a dream came to Brad uh, just, just like this last week. And uh, in the dream, the messenger says, I've come from on high, and we've heard your request, and, and we do want to answer you. And yes, there is going to be golf in heaven, Brad. And, and Brad in the dream's like, oh, thank you so much, angel. And the angel says, yes, there's going to be golf in heaven, and it's going to be in those pristine conditions. It's going to be like Augusta National. I mean, every single time you play, and it's going to be 12 on the stint meter, and the greens are going to roll true and straight, and you're going to have the best friends always to play with. And it's going to be the best of weather, and you're always going to break par. And and uh, Brad's like, that is fantastic, fantastic news. And the angel goes, oh, you're welcome. Oh, one other thing. Uh, we have you down for a foursome this Saturday. <laughs> what would it be like without a cheesy pastor joke, right, to begin things out on this series? So we're going to talk about what happens when you die today. What happens when you die? We're going to look at the, the Bible and what it has to say, Scripture, and so you, you're going to want that handy. Also, on the back of your uh, bulletin, there's a listening guide. You're going to take notes as you follow along. Uh, we're going to be looking and, and really re leaning on many resources. There's several pastors I got to give full credit to. They're friends of mine that have given me full permission to use some of their research and some of their ideas that they've come up with because of the fact uh, that honestly, that together we're still understanding what all the afterlife entails. And then also, there is a book that I'd highly I recommend to you to read maybe on the back end of this preaching series. It's called Heaven, and it's written by Randy Alcorn. It's the number one book in the last 100 years written about the afterlife. I highly recommend it. All right, so what happens when you die? Well, why talk about what happens when you die? Well, there's a lot of things floating out there about the afterlife, in particular about heaven. So why we want to talk about it is, is that we want to identify truth and myths. There's a lot of truth, but there's also a lot of myths out there. So we want to talk about those in particular. I want to talk about five myths of heaven with you today. If you have your listening guide, we're going to look at the first one. Myth number one, just ignore heaven. Just ignore it. That's myth number one. Uh, a lot of us are like Francis Louis XIV. He decreed that no one in his presence would ever be able to use the word death. That's kind of like us. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. We're just thinking about the here and now, even though, even though every single one of us will one day die. It's kind of like this. We're going on a trip, and we're, it's a 10-hour commute. But we're going to be gone on this trip at this specific destination for over 10 months. So we're there for 10 months. It's a really, really long vacation. And um, so we plan. You plan for four or five months the 10-hour commute. The commute goes great, but you get your destination and all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, I spent months and months and months planning the 10-hour commute, but I never thought once about the place that I would spend the next 10 months. That's what we're doing when we ignore it. 
when we ignore it. Now, why have we ignored it? Why have we ignored heaven? Well, number one, because of our own error. We're thrown all these messages all the time, whether it's media or whether it's the newspaper or whether it's a friend or somebody, you know, gives you something, a pamphlet about somebody who died and came back to earth and it's this and it's that. And so we have all of these facts and figures floating around in our minds um, and we don't even take into account what scripture says. The second thing is, is that we're not really sure if we want to go to heaven in the first place. I mean, nobody really wants to go to hell, but do we really want to go to heaven? I mean, how many of you have heard at one point or another, is, is heaven going to be the kind of place where it's just like one long church service? I mean, no offense to the arts team, okay, and Carmen and the rest of them, but who wants to go to a never-ending church service? I mean, forever. I mean, nobody wants to do that. Is that what heaven's going to be like? A third reason is that the world it chokes out what this life is really all about. The world just chokes it out. We lose focus. We lose track so often. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he's wanting to uh, comfort and, and really clue in his disciples, he speaks about heaven. In John chapter 14, verses 1 and 3, he says to them, it'll be on the screen, not, not, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. You see, he's reassuring them. He's heading to a place to prepare a place for us. And he says, like, don't ignore it. Know it. Fascinate yourself and fixate yourself on it. Now, if there's a place called heaven, and there is, well, then what's it like? That's the next question. What's it going to be like? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today and the rest of our myths. If you have a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. Uh, Revelation is found at the very back of your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you, your seat back. If you don't own one, take that Bible home, put your name on it, bring it back. It'd be our gift to you, free of charge. Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to find here is that God gives heaven and in a picture of what it looks like, heaven is our home, to John in Revelation 21. So would you stand as we read God's word together? Starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling places now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things had passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Skip down to verse 22 with me. 
I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the king of the earth will spring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You can be seated. So we just read an account of what heaven is going to be like. So let's not ignore it. That's myth number one. Okay, myth number two, if you're taking notes, is we're going to flout on clouds all day. That we're going to float on clouds all day. Verse 3 of chapter 21 gives us an insight into this. Look at it with me. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. See, see, to be human is to desire. We desire things all the time. I mean, we, sometimes you're going to desire good Italian food. You're going to desire a bigger TV. You're going to desire better clothes, a better car. You're going to desire a better house from time to time. Those are our desires, and we are wired for desire. But our desires go even deeper than this. Many times we'll desire things and we'll want our loved ones or our friends or someone to actually guess what we're desiring without saying anything. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, ah, they should know what I want to desire. We're just sick, aren't we? What, what's going on? But we, we have these things inside of us. But see, it really gives us a window into something even much deeper about our desires. And we're going to find it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We're going to put it on the screen. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, did you catch that? That there they are, Adam and Eve. They're naked. They're unashamed. They were both completely known. There's nothing that's not known. They're fully loved. They're fully accepted. They're fully embraced for who they are. See, we want to be this. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be fully known. We want all of our stuff on the table and then for someone to look at our stuff and all of us and go, yeah, you're okay by me. We want this from our, from our husbands, our wives. I mean, we said that at the altar, right? For richer, for poorer, right? We, we said those words. Like, you know all my idiosyncrasies, sweetheart. You know my idiosyncrasies, dear. You know all those things. I know I've got a lot of issues, but you know what? You're fully loved. You're fully known. I embrace you. I accept you. We want the same things in our, in our uh, relationships with our family and our friends, right? Like, you're going to know me, and I'm going to know you, and you're going to get to know some of my weird, like, kind of things that go on in my life, and you're going to know that sometimes I'm a jerk. And you know what? I'm going to learn that sometimes you're a jerk, right? And we're going to know all that, but yet we want to be fully known, to be fully loved, to be fully accepted. I mean, this is why people have friendships. This is why people get on social media. This is why there are gangs, because people want community at its very core. But because of sin, brokenness comes in. And its consequences are that our relationships, they fall short much short of where we want them to be. 
And that's where the awesomeness of the gospel comes in. See, through Jesus, he atones for our sin. He atones for our brokenness, our short-sightedness in our brokenness. And he atones for those things and he heals them. And from the gospel springs the church. And this church is supposed to emulate and really honestly be an example of what relationships could and should be like. Why? Well, because of what Christ emulated for us. Here's what Christ did. He goes, you know what? Hmm. I see all your messed upness. I see all the stuff that you're, you, you were born into. I see all the stuff that you sit in now. And I see all the stuff that you're going to be, because he's, he's a sovereign, he knows all. And he goes, I'm still going to go to the cross for you. I'm still going to die for you. I'm still going to pay penance for you. And I'm going to do it because you're fully loved, you're fully accepted, you're fully known. And, and that is exactly what's going to happen for us when we step into eternity. That we're going to step in and we're going to see the presence of God and we're going to be fully loved, fully known, fully accepted. John Edwards, he says it this way, to go to heaven fully, to enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here, better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of any other earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. So how does this have to do with myth number two? Well, here's the reason why. We're not going to float on clouds all day. We're going to be in these relationships that just, just, just kick anything down here in the rear, okay? Because we're going to be in a relationship that is fully known, fully accepted, fully loved. I mean, it is going, it is going to make anything down here look like a joke. It's going to be exquisite. The great news, too, is the minute that you close your eyes on this earth, you will step into, for those in Christ, into paradise with Jesus. Now, there's a belief that would say that when you, when, you, when you die on this earth, you're going to go into this soul sleep, many other things. And there's a big debate about this. Um, but, but the case is that Jesus said to the thief um, on the cross, he said in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, you will be with me in paradise. So immediately when we close our eyes, we'll be there. But until that day, Paul assures us for me, for me to live is Christ and to die is, well, it is gain. But he said, I'm hard pressed between the two, death and life. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better, which I would have say, amen, Paul. But you see, we're not going to sit on clouds. We're going to be fully loved, fully accepted, fully known for all that we are. And God's going to love us and usher us into his presence. And that, my friends, is exciting. But then we look at verse 4 in chapter 21, and it brings us to our next myth. Look at it with me, myth 3. There will be no more tears or pain in heaven. Myth 3, there, there will be no more tears or pain in heaven. If you weren't following along, now you are. You've heard all your life, well, there's not going to be any more pain or tears there. They're wrong. That, look at it with me in verse 4. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. So the question is, why are people crying in paradise? Why are they mourning? Well, here's why. There's this thing called tension in Scripture. And there's a lot of tension in a lot of ways throughout the Bible. And that is why it's a life, uh, it, you can spend a lifetime learning it and not grasp it all the way. But Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 can give us a clue into 
what this tension really looks like. It says this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So there's this thing. There's this scene of martyrs in heaven, in paradise. And they're looking down, which tells us that they can actually see earth. And they're crying out. And they're saying, when is it all going to be made right? When are all the things that are unjust going to be declared just? When are all the atrocities, when are all those things going to be leveled, God? When are all these things going to take place? That is why there are tears. There's this longing for those things to happen. So there's this fully loved, fully accepted, fully desired relationship that we have, but yet at the same time, there's this, 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 this passion for redemption. Now, what's redemption? Here's what redemption is. I have a buddy of mine who is an operator of Chick-fil-A. Gotta love me some Christian chicken. Uh, I don't know if any of you agree, but me and my family love uh, uh, Chick-fil-A. And uh, he gave me a gift certificate to Chick-fil-A the other day, or actually a while ago. And he said, here you go, just to bless your family. And so I'm like, great, thank you so much. And I put it on our dresser uh, so that we can use it, you know, a special family day at Chick-fil-A. Well, we forget about it. And, and it goes past the expiration. The gift cards are now worthless. And I, I tried to use them. Okay, safe place. All right. But they wouldn't accept them. You do it too. So don't judge me, okay? I know you're like, here, you try to cover up the expiration date. So, so they wouldn't use them, which is cool. We ended up paying, you know. And, and so my buddy goes, hey, did you use that gift card? I said, no, I didn't. We waited too long. He goes, oh, I'll, tell, I'll make it right. I'll make it right. So we went in again. He told me, go in and use the gift card, and it'll be right. That's redemption. You see, redemption requires a certain person to be able to take something that was once worthless and make it right again, to make it worth something once again. And that is what the martyrs are crying out for. The stories in Scripture and throughout the world that are crying out for things to be made right again, calling for justice, for redemption. Even creation, the rocks and the trees, and they are saying the same. When are things going to be made right like they should have been from the beginning? Paul, he captures this in chapter 8 of 19 through 22 in Romans. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth up until now. Basic summary, creation longs for redemption to come. So in the words of Revelation 21, we see right here, there's a new heaven and a new earth and the God is restoring all and, and the planet is being restored and redemption is being made and justice has been served and, and we will be enjoying him forever in heaven and paradise will be on earth. I cannot wait for that day. Hallelujah. But until now, until now, until then, we have a mission. Jesus would tell his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. See, lives transform. But on that day, we'll see how the creator, the king of kings, will be fully loved, fully accepted, and there will be redemption. And then one day God will restore the earth and creation eagerly anticipates that moment. And there will be several different 
peaks, if you will, in your life. There's a chart in Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, that I'm going to try to do my best to, to basically redraw for you this morning. And um, I thought it was just brilliant. All of us have an inflection point in our life, and that is the fact that we are born. How many of you were born here this morning? Raise your hand. Okay, good. All right, there's an inflection point in our life and it looks like that. It's escalating towards a peak. How many of you have not reached your peak in your life? Say, no way, I'm still getting better. Only a few, okay? Most of you are like, I'm on the downward slope now. <laughs> now, I, I would say I'm still going. Like, I'm excited about what's to come. Somewhere into the future, though, we reach a peak. And then there's the downward part of our life, just like all of us live. And then there's this second inflection point in our life, and that is when we experience death. That is really the summary of our existence. But as we just learned, there's another inflection point for those who are in Christ. And this inflection point takes us into paradise, okay? And this paradise is where we will be fully known, fully loved, fully accepted. And there's a whole new peak that we will experience and we cannot wait for that day. But then one day, all of creation will be redeemed. One day, everything will be made right. And another inflection point will be created. And it'll be right here. And then we will forever, never reach a peak. That is unbelievable. This is the new earth. And that is what scripture is teaching us. And what's amazing to think about is that there will be no end to the peak. There will be no point where we'll stop escalating in all things. It's unbelievable. I mean, the one day in the new earth, Chick-fil-A will be open on Sunday. Amen? <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. And I don't know about you men, okay? I don't know if you love your bodies or not, but I'm telling you, I've got a bad back. And after 30 minutes of speaking on this stage, my back just, I mean, is excruciating pain. In fact, if I'm ever in the lobby and I look like I'm in a lot of pain, it's not because I'm bored of talking to you or you have bad breath. Uh, it's, because, it's because of the fact that I'm just in pain. I cannot wait for the day on the new earth. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we'll meet him in the air, that I'll be given a new body and I'll have the best back of all, right? And we'll be given a completely new, a, a completely new body, perfected body, that will Jesus will be there. And that we'll be given heaven. Then in verse um, 5 and following, of Revelation chapter 21, we see the word glory used over and over and over again. You can look at it later on, but you're going to see the word glory. And the word glory is to use and, and really help us understand the full weight of who God is. And it brings us to our fourth myth. Our fourth myth is there won't be any responsibility or purpose in heaven. We're just going to, I mean, if, if it's really true, we're just going to sit on a cloud. Well, what purpose is that? If you're like me, you need a role. You need a responsibility. You need a purpose. We're created for that and that alone. And that is where God's glory comes in. And, and Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 speaks to this. He says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Skip down, and he continues, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall print vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. 
For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. I I want you to see that verse once again. My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. He keeps going, though. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with God, with them. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Now, here's why I read that, because there's a list of things that we will be participating in, responsibilities that we'll have, in the new earth that it lists there. I mean, there's going to be gardening. There's going to be celebrations. There's going to be feasting. There's going to be lots of smoked meat. Amen, men, right? There's going to be arts. There's going to be no violence. There's going to be no war. Things are going to be perfected. Perfect human harmony. In other words, the Hebrew word here is shalom will happen. That redemption has been restored and creation has been now redeemed fully. And we as God's children will have responsibility. And those responsibilities we'll love to partake in. It won't be work, but it will be all for the glory of God for all of eternity. It'll be unbelievable. And that is why we'll never see a peak to that existence. Now, but we're here now that we're the dash in between our birth and our death. And we see all of the pain and the misery. We see all of the heartache of the world around us. We see the injustice. We see the decisions. We see the drug epidemic in our own southern Indiana and Kentucky Anna area. We see the addictions We see the heartache in our families and our friends' lives and what is going on around us and all the suffering. And it's just natural for us to look for some kind of remedy to the brokenness. And so without even thinking about it, we do it all the time. We may do it with a paycheck. If I could just have this amount of money on my paycheck, it'd be good. It'd be good. Have you ever noticed that it's just 20% more? If I could just have 20% more, then it'd be all good. But there's no amount of money that will create a remedy to the brokenness or, or it's a relationship status. If I just had this person or this relationship or, or this marriage, if I had just this child or this family or if I had just this friendship or this friendship group, I, I look at them on social media and they're always having a lot of fun and, 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 and the list goes on and on and on and on. But what we're doing is we're looking for those things to satisfy the God-given desires that only he can fill. And the good news is, is that when we look to him to fill them, we can fully participate in the redemption of all things. Shalom. One day if we're in Christ. And verse 27 brings us to our fifth myth. Our fifth myth. Everyone will be there in heaven. That's the fifth myth. Everyone will be there in heaven. Reminds me of a man who went to the pearly gates and Peter is standing there. He says to the man that just walked up, Peter does, denomination. The man says, Methodist. The man says, oh, that's, you're in the party room. Congratulations. You're going to go to room 23 and there you will be with all the other Methodists. Congratulations. But he said, but make sure you're quiet when you go, to room, when you go past room eight. So the guy's like, Okay, cool. So the guy goes on into the room that he was deemed. And so another man walks up to Peter and says, uh, I'm here. And Peter says, uh, denomination. Uh, the man says, Wesleyan. 
Man says, great, Wesleyan, fantastic. Uh, John Wesley is going to be in room 19, and he's going to be teaching you. I, I'm, you're going to love it, but make sure you're quiet because room 8 as you pass by. And so the guy's like, okay. And so the third guy gets to Peter, and he's up at the gate. And the third guy gets to the, the gate, and Peter says, uh, denomination. And the man says, uh, Lutheran. And, 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 and Peter says, oh, great. They have the best hymnals, okay? And so uh, you're in room you're in room 11. And the guy goes, okay. And he said, also, Martin Luther's going to be there. He's going to be teaching you, okay? And so you're going to want to make your way there. But make sure you're quiet as you pass room 8. And the guy's like, why do we, he's like, I get the fact that we have different rooms for denominations, but why do we have to be quiet when we pass room eight? And he goes, well, that's where all the Baptists are, and they don't think anyone else is here. <laughs> Verse, that second cheesy joke. This morning, verse 27 of chapter 21 says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, we're going to be fully known and fully loved, fully accepted. We're going to experience paradise. We'll experience redemption in the way this earth should and feel and look like. But it's all because that our names are going to be entered in the, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, that he says that no man, no man, no person gets to the Father except through me. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There's a, a very, very, very well-known singer her name was Ruth Anna Metzger, and she learned this lesson oh so well. I'm going to share with her story. She was uh, scheduled to, to, to sing at a very, very famous wedding in the northeast of our country, in Seattle. And it was the who's who wedding. It was a beautiful church, beautiful ceremony, and she sang the best she'd ever sung. But she was most looking forward to the reception after the ceremony. Her and her husband, Roy and Ruth, they enter into the reception. It's on the top floor of the tallest skyscraper in downtown Seattle. And it's the who's who are there. And the waiters and waitresses are walking by in tuxedos holding the, the most exquisite hors d'oeuvres. And they participate in a couple of those. But then they walk up the stairs as all the other guests are ushered up. And there there's a maitre d'. And she asks Ruth and Roy, names please. And she says, oh, uh, it's Ruth Anna Metzgar and my husband, Roy. She goes through the list. Can you spell it, please? Yeah, it's M-E-T, and she spells it. I'm sorry, ma'am, your name is not on the list. She said, but, but I sang in the wedding. You don't understand. I literally was on stage. I'm sorry, ma'am. And then the butler comes over and escorts them to the elevator. He hits G on the elevator, and they go down to the ground floor. They get in their car, and they leave. And so they're on their way home, and... Um, Roy says to his wife, he says, sweetheart, what happened? And she says, in tears, she says, I, in all the busyness and all the craziness of getting away for this, this wedding and the celebration, I, I didn't RSVP for the, for the banquet. I never put my name down. And she learned a lesson that day, obviously. But then she was reminded, as she would share later on, about Revelation 21. 
that, you know, just because we're busy, just because we're religious, just because we give to the poor, just because we attend church, just because we do this, just because we're better than this person, just because of this or that, that doesn't mean that your name is written on the list. This last week, this sermon became more real to me than it maybe ever would. Because this last Wednesday, I lost my grandfather. And he was the last of my grandfathers. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, like 6 o'clock p.m. And I sat down, and I just began to weep. And I began to think about my grandfather. And he was a, he was a fun guy. Uh, he was spunky. He loved God. Multiple times I'd sit down with my grandfather when I'd go back home and we'd talk about a lot of the things and he would ask me about how my church was doing and he would say, man, I'm so proud of you, Ray. And then he would tell me how to run the church, which is always fun. He would talk about the great outdoors. He loved the great outdoors. I loved his passion for hunting. That's where I get a lot of my desire for outdoors and hunting and and doing all things outside. He'd talk about his family. He loved his family. He also loved the the country. He He served in the Navy. So many things that my grandfather loved. But the most important thing I can recall was his love for God. And right now in this moment now, my grandfather sits or stands, I'm not sure. But right where he is, there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. And he could speak into those five myths better than you or me could ever speak into. Because of his name was for sure written on that list. See, until that day that my eyes close, I want to share Christ. I want to share in love like him. I want to share about what he did for those people, what he did in my life. I want to be on mission for those things. I want this church to be on mission for those things until that day when our eyes close and we meet Christ. I want to ask, number one, is your name written on the list? And I want to ask, number two, are you busy until that day?